Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in. The Utah Jazz win again. Eight straight road wins. They beat Portland 120-105. to 105. It's a pretty comfortable win. They started out on a 14-2 run to open the game. And then Portland would make runs and get within six points, and the Jazz push it back up to 10 or 12. And then Portland would get within eight, and the Jazz would push it to 17. And it just went back and forth like that. Coming up in the best of postgame show, you'll hear Quinn Snyder talk about that. And so we'll uh, – he was a little – he didn't mind that when it was bouncing back between 10 and 17 or 18 or whatever it was. Uh, but when it got down to six, he was clearly a little irritated. You could see that when he was calling timeouts on the sideline, and you can hear it in his voice coming up in the best of the postgame show. <laughs> the uh, I really think this is the Jazz' biggest problem right now. And there may be other problems, and we may be able to diagnose them when we see the Jazz play better teams. And they got the Warriors coming up on Saturday on New Year's Day. And then they got a couple games with Denver. They got another game with the Warriors. And they got a couple games with the Suns. So maybe some of these better teams will show us some of the other issues the Jazz have and what they're going to have to improve on if they're going to have success in the postseason. But right now, I think the problem is just boredom. I think the Jazz are better than these guys. I think they know they're better than these guys. When they focus, when they pay attention to detail and they really bring the effort, they blow teams off the floor. They were clearly focused at the start of the game. Portland shorthanded. The Jazz have a clear advantage inside. They didn't take threes. They're very disciplined. <laughs> they just attacked and attacked and attacked. And whether they were throwing lobs to Rudy, uh, whether uh, a player was getting a layup, Bogey was backing some guy down and scoring on a couple of six- and eight-foot shots. Uh, they went inside. They used their height. And they made the Blazers collapse. And then they shot threes later. Now, eventually, they ended up shooting 43s. But early in the game, it didn't look like they were going to get anywhere near that. And eventually... Actually, fairly quickly, uh, Portland just started putting five guys in the paint. It's like, well, you're, we can't let you dunk on us and shoot six-footers all night because you're going to destroy us. And so eventually they started conceding threes, and eventually the Jazz started making threes. And it still came down as the game went along. You know, the lead would go to 17, and it would go down to eight. And it was, it was just focus. The Jazz are better than they know it. They're a little bored. They won by 15 on the road. Portland was really shorthanded. You know, they don't have – two of their four best players, maybe two of their three best players, um, depending on how Nurkic is playing, I guess. But, they, you know, it's that was a very shorthanded team. And so the Jazz did what they were supposed to do, and they destroyed them. And now they come home from Minnesota on Friday, who they should destroy, and then a very intriguing game with the Warriors on Saturday. And we'll see if we can start diagnosing the Jazz, where they are, how good they are, how the best teams will attack them, and how the Jazz will handle it and adjust. And uh, January should be interesting. There'll be some big games in January. A lot of road games in January, too. So that was the basketball. As the Jazz pick up yet another victory, Suns also won. Uh, Warriors didn't play. Then there's the football. Ooh. Oregon. Oregon. What are you doing? Well, you're getting worked by Oklahoma 47-32. That's a weird game. It's a bowl game, so everybody's had a lot of time off. And in this case, both teams have had coaches lead for other jobs, and both schools like to think of themselves as a destination that nobody would leave, and yet both coaches did. So it's certainly a, a bizarro game. But having said that, Oregon, defensively, can you guys get a stop at all? They forced Oklahoma to punt on the first possession, and they didn't force them to punt again until the next last possession of the game. A couple times they kept them to field goals, but mostly with touchdowns, touchdowns, and more touchdowns. And the second quarter was brutal. 
Oregon gave up 20. Oregon got to score 24 nothing in the second quarter. Brutal. Just brutal. It was 6-3 after one quarter was a game, and in the second quarter, it was over. Now, the offense cranked it up a little bit in the third quarter. The final score looks better. There was no real pressure on the Oklahoma defense. I don't know the Oklahoma defense is great anyway, uh, but they did what had to be done in the second quarter. They got stops while they were scoring, and it's what Quinn Snyder always says about the Jazz. If you want to run, you have to get some stops because you're scoring points. So just get stops. And Oklahoma got stops, and Oregon got nothing. So, I think it's, uh, you know, we want to go comparative scores, and Oregon beat Ohio State, and the youth beat Oregon twice, but, you know, did Oregon slip as the, over the course of the year? Did Oregon know their coach was leaving? How much did they know? How much did they suspect? How much did that eat at the players? Or is it just attrition over the course of the season, or you don't get better and other people do? Or is Oregon... Um, Good, because I won 10 games, but just not good enough to hang with teams that are top 10 or top 15 teams in the country. Because that's the Utes now. And that's Oregon. Or excuse me, that's Oklahoma. And Oregon just can't hang with those teams. You know, there's a million different ways to try and read this. And then the other thing is, don't try to read comparative scores. Just don't do it. I like to do it. I look at it, but I know you got to take it with a grain of salt. And I think you've really got to double down and take it with a grain of salt when coaches are leaving. And you've had long layoffs and played in three or four weeks. Now, bowl games have always kind of been their own thing in that regard. Uh, I think the good news for Ute fans is that the Utes usually get better over that time period, and they usually play their best games. Now, they don't always. You know, they certainly their last two bowl games they haven't looked good after they lost in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, title game. And they went down to Vegas one year and got worked by Boise State. Just worked by them. You know, so there have been bad bowl performances, but there have been way more good bad bowl performances than there have been bad. And for whatever reason, Whittingham's always had a knack with that. I mean, his first year, he's 6-5, and five, and he's going out to play Georgia Tech, and they got Megatron, right, who's going to go on to have a massive career in the NFL. And they shut him down, and they shut Georgia Tech down, and they win that game. And that was his first bowl game. And since then, he's had way more good bowl games than bad. You know, Alabama's the one everybody's going to remember. Uh, but along the way, they've, they've won a lot of bowl games. So, can they get this one on Saturday? And, you know, Oregon is the marquee win for the Utes. But Oregon did not look good against Oklahoma. Now, maybe it's just, hey, that's Oregon's ceiling. You know, that's... That's just how good they are. They can handle a lot of teams. They won 10 games, but they don't match up with top 15 teams. Although one day in Columbus, they did. But maybe Columbus, maybe, Oregon, maybe Ohio State wasn't Ohio State at that point. Um, there's a lot to figure out and a lot to guess at before the fine game finally gets going Saturday afternoon, and we know for sure. But that was not a good night. The Pac-12 is not covering itself in glory. Oregon didn't. UCLA didn't with the way they bowed out in the Holiday Bowl and never played the game. That was not a good luck. Not good. But as much as you want your conference to do well and you want to bathe in the light of your conference excelling, you know, if you win your bowl game, eh. <laughs> Everything else, eh. We want our bowl game, eh. Because you're going to go out and recruit. You're going to recruit on behalf of the whole conference. I mean, if you have a chance to say, our conference is great, great. But, you know, Clemson didn't, Clemson didn't get great by saying, the ACC is great. He said, we're great. And if the ACC struggled in non-conference games, the ACC struggled in bowl games, eh. You're not playing for the ACC. We're recruiting you to Clemson. So there's always, there's always that. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. 
when we come back. We still got the best of the Jazz post game show to get to, and we got to talk a little football as well. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. DJ and PK, we're joined now by Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics. He's an Ohio State grad, and he joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs, or call 877-346-3333. Matt, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thanks for coming on. So are we getting the Ohio State grad who's got the pom-poms out and is rooting for the alma mater, or we've got the highly trained professional with his analytical eye for the sport? Well, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm highly trained, but I, I will try to be a serious professional here. And like, I'll tell you this right up front. Like, I think Utah's going to win this game. Why? Why? There's, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons for this. Like, I think even if both teams were at full strength, Utah matches up pretty well with Ohio State's weaknesses. And if there's one thing we've seen over the last two weeks, it's pretty clear that to this Utah program, this is the Super Bowl. And I don't mean that pejoratively, right? This is going to be a heavy Utah crowd. As far as I know, every significant playmaker is planning on being in this game. And for Ohio State, we saw this season with the number one um, you know, F-plus adjusted offense, that offense isn't going to be in this game because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Ohio State's, you know, two of their three-headed monster at wide receiver, they're not going to play. Ohio State's best offensive lineman, Nicholas Petit-Pierre, is not going to play. Ohio State's most consistent and probably best defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett, is not going to play. And that's not even saying anything about injuries or, or in, any COVID situation here. So then I, I, the, the way that Ohio State wins this game is by outscoring Utah and 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 uh, being so explosive that they can drop 35 points and don't necessarily need to be efficient. And in order for that to happen, they're going to need some redshirt freshmen or people who who have never really seen consistent action at, at you know college football before to have monster games. And this is a really hard team and a really difficult environment uh, for for that to happen. So I, I don't want to insinuate that. You know, this game would not be a meaningful achievement or not matter for Utah because they're not getting Ohio State at full strength. Like, that narrative sucks. But when just looking at who's actually going to play, I think Utah matches up really well. I think PK's threatened to pull out all of his hair if I ask you about uh, Ohio State's <laughs> inability to run the ball. Or, excuse me, to stop the run. Stop the run. And we saw it against Oregon and we saw it against Michigan. When you talk matchups, is that what you're talking about? That you think Utah is going to run the ball because that's what they do, and Ohio State isn't going to be able to stop an above-average or elite running attack because, well, that's not what they do. I, I, th- I think that's part of it, and like the, the Michigan and Oregon games, I think were different because Ohio State's defense was punished in different uh, different ways by by that rushing attack. But but certainly, like this is not a championship caliber linebacking crew. And what we've seen out of Ohio State's defense when they're really good at these past couple of seasons is that they have some kind of five-star, first-round draft pick, outwardly uh, pass rusher. You know, a, a real elite talent uh, at defensive end that can kind of single-handedly disrupt what a team wants to do. That, that, those are your Bosa brothers. That was your Chase Young. Ohio State may have that next year. Uh, they, they do have, I, I, I think they signed three five-star you know, defensive ends in the past two recruiting classes, but they don't have one right now. 
Um, and they are beat up. Um, they, uh, beyond just Haskell Garrett, they, they've had a couple of their other guys injured or just haven't been at full strength uh, at defensive tackle. And if you can't get a great pass rush and you don't have championship caliber guys you know, up, up in the middle and you don't have linebackers that can fill gaps or make reads uh, as quickly as you need to, then yeah, if, if you run the ball well, you can get four, five, six yards of carry on this Ohio State defense. Now, you know, it'll, it will be interesting to see whether Utah can throw the ball uh, as well as Oregon and Michigan and a couple other teams were able to do in that game. You know, Oregon had a better a better day throwing than they did against most Pac-12 teams, uh, in part because the, the running game made things open up so many opportunities for them. But that's that, that's going to be a big challenge. Like I, I think that Utah should be able to expect to dominate time of possession and to be able to, to shorten this game and make things a little bit more challenging for Ohio State's more explosive offense. And should be, and the, the, the yards on the ground will be there for them. Yeah, I can, I can buy all that. I mean, that, that makes complete and total sense. Uh, but I want to go back to something that you said uh, as far as potentially outscoring them. I mean, I realize Utah's defense usually is really good, but you just look at the scores of Ohio State, 59, 52, 66, 54. I mean, Nebraska, they only got 26. Purdue, which was ranked, they put 59 on them. And we all remember that Michigan State thing. That was, yeah. uh, and it was late in uh, November, if I remember correctly, and it was perceived as a big game. And was it 49 nothing at halftime? It's like, wow, yeah, they, the, look they, like they, scored on Alabama, they look like Alabama on steroids all of a sudden here. So I can't get that out of my mind. And thinking that, all right, they are missing these guys that you say. Those are facts. But they were still explosive. So if they didn't have those three guys, maybe they only led 34 to nothing at halftime against Michigan State. (laughs) It still seems to me that they're potent offensively, with or without these guys. They they are unquestionably potent. And and this is the thing about even if you're playing Ohio State's B-plus team on offense, where you're, you're facing mostly underclassmen. All of those underclassmen are high four-star guys. Uh, and, and to a man, I think, uh, you know, when you look at Ohio State's skill position talent, they are all elite, elite speed. Um, and and th- that has w- that's what made this offense so terrifying and so explosive during the season is because they could take a guy, you know, Garrett Wilson would get a nine-yard you know, nine slant and just outrun everybody and turn that into a 45-yard gain or a 54-yard touchdown. Um, and, and Ohio State's running back, Travion Henderson, who I think is going to be uh, on most Heisman shortlist next year because he's a true freshman and still ran for well over 1,000 yards. He's somebody where – Utah's going to stop him for two yards, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. He might be rushing for 1.8 yards to carry into the first quarter, and then he's going to take one for 60 yards because all of these guys have an, just an extra gear that is hard to match. And that was even came up in the uh, in the the Oregon game. It came up in the Michigan game a little bit. But if you want to look at what this Ohio State offense could look like without these guys, the Nebraska game is a good example because Garrett Wilson didn't play in that game. Um, Chris Olave did, and Olave is more of a uh, vertical, you know, straight downfield burner kind of guy. He's not really a slant receiver. He's not someone who's going to get 11 catches. And Ohio State's offense stalled a little bit because they weren't able to um, be on schedule and found themselves facing thirds and third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And even if Utah puts Ohio State in that position throughout the game, Ohio State's going to convert some stuff. 
just because they've got dudes, and those dudes might be Marvin, Jer- Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, that might be Julian Fleming. These are our high four-star, five-star underclassmen wide receivers who are going to see some more time. Might be G. Scott, uh, West Coast guy, who is a five-star recruit. He's going to be playing a little bit more in this game. Um, but that's that's going to happen. Uh, but I think w- when you're missing those, you know, not just a, deep, a big play guy, but also your safety blanket, who's going to get eight, nine, ten catches a game in, in Garrett Wilson you aren't going to be able to get the four or five, six yards uh, of play that you would need to, uh, to, be, more, to be more efficient. You're, it's going to be kind of an all or nothing more sort of thing. I think Ohio State's still going to score 28 points. Um, but that might not be enough if they don't get enough possessions. Their, their path to win here, I think, is winning, like scoring 45. It's not a team that I think can win this game 20-7. to 7. Well, certainly Ohio State averaged 45 points a game, so you, you can't throw that out there. But I, I was going to ask you about the Nebraska game because Nebraska went 1-8 and eight in the Big Ten, and Nebraska yep. held them to 26 points. Now, Penn State went 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. That was not a great Penn State team. I know they were ranked when they played Ohio State. The brand names demand that that game be pumped up. That was a 33-24 game, which might be how Ohio State tries to win this game. What did Penn State do to hold Ohio State to 33 points? Because it sounds funny to hold someone to 33, but that is 12 points <laughs> below their average. And Ohio State had at least a half dozen games. They scored 50 points this year. So how did they hold yeah. them to 33? Um, so one of the big problems, and, and I, I realize it's kind of weird saying this for a team that averaged 45 points a game, but uh, particularly during the last half of the year, Ohio State really wasn't very good in the red zone on offense. Um, and they're going to get in the red zone because they get yards on just about everybody, even when they are not at full strength. But in that Penn State game, I, I, you, you, if you watched it, it was not difficult to imagine Ohio State scoring 51, right? Penn State turned the ball over three times, um, and Ohio State just couldn't get out of their own way. They converted, I want to say, less than a third of their third-down conversions. They were constantly put behind schedule. They had 10 penalties. Uh, several of them that you particularly costly, and they didn't convert in the in the red zone. You know, Trayon Henderson had 152 yards and such now, but it took him almost 30 carries to get there. Uh, and uh, I think most of those yards were on three or four carries. So it was a lot of, you know, um, first and ten, second and eight, third and seven, send the house. Um, and and and. Uh, Penn State just, just could not convert well enough on offense. And, and, and Sean Clifford played like the game of his life in that game uh, to, to make it close. So that, that's, that's the way to beat Ohio State. You're not going to shut Ohio State out. You're, you're, you're not going to hold them to 200 yards. Um, you're probably not going to make C.J. Stroud throw three interceptions. You might be able to get him to throw one, but he's, he's, a, he's a pretty accurate guy. Um, the, the trick is to bend and don't break and, and make, make Henderson be very inefficient, make Ohio State kind of forget about him, which they do sometimes, much to Ohio State uh, fans' chagrin. Well, you know, given that Ohio State's DNA is to be a little bit more like, this, like Utah has been over the past couple of years, and this is a little bit closer to a, a Big 12 kind of team um, or maybe an NFL kind of team in that they, they want to throw the ball probably two or three times more when they're actually going to run it. Um, and you can some of those one-on-one matchups, you can hold them to 28 points. What's the mood among Ohio State fans as far as just their uh, – what What can I look for? What can I say? The anticipation, because in, in our community, it's off the charts. The Utes are going to the Rose yeah. Bowl. It's the first time. And we get that this isn't the playoff, but still it's the Rose Bowl. 
And is it sort of a blase uh, attitude from among Ohio State fans? The vibes in Columbus could not be worse right now. Like I, I don't think we can overstate how significant this dichotomy is between one program that not only wants to be there, but recognizes that this is potentially a transformational like game for their program. When you were in the Mountain West or when you were going through the wilderness of the 80s and the Rose Bowl represents like this totem of everything that your program is structurally uh, incapable of achieving, and now you finally climb that mountain and you've gotten there, and you can, you know, I, I think in, in this market, if you want to, you know, criticize Ohio State fans and that program for being spoiled, I think that's completely fair. But this was a team that came into the season with playoff aspirations, and not only did they fail to meet that goal, but then they, they failed to meet that goal because they lost to their arch rival, and they didn't just lose their arch rival, but they lost in their arch rival in the most humiliating way to Ohio State fans possible, which is Michigan physically stuffed them in a locker and took their lunch money. Like it would be one thing if there was a blocked punt or someone threw for 500 yards, but they got out Woody Hayes, um, and that is like structurally concerning. <laughs> I, I think to a lot of Ohio State fans, like there's there's a reason you're seeing a lot of people opt out. Um, there's a reason Ohio State is returning tickets, which is almost never happens given how national this fan base is and how many West Coast Ohio State fans there are. They, uh, the, the young players are going to be very motivated uh, to, to show out here because playing time is going to be premium, and you want to get the bad taste of Michigan out of, out of their mouth. But this is going to be a home game for Utah. And I don't think you can completely understate that when it's the third quarter and people are beat up and they're hurt and they're angry. It's not hard to imagine that the guys in Salt Lake want this experience more than the people in Columbus do. So I'm I'm curious about the, especially the young receivers that you mentioned earlier, who are going to be stepping in for the guys who opted out. Because everyone knows Ohio State recruits high-end talent. Everybody's gifted, or you wouldn't be on Ohio State's roster. You wouldn't have a scholarship yeah. there. But especially at all, especially at wide receiver, maybe more so than any other position. Okay, but we all know college coaches like to schedule a couple of money games, get the bugs out, let guys get the nerves out, and then they can really take off and and achieve to the level of their of their spectacular talent. But we also know there are guys who are chomping at the bit who are like, if you give me one chance, my, if I get my foot in the door, it's over. I'm taking over. And so I'm curious with the receivers who are likely to get more snaps, get to run more routes, and get targeted more by the quarterback, are they going to – do they need time to warm up, time that they don't have? Or are they going to seize that first chance, blow by somebody, cut back on somebody else, and end up in the end zone? I mean, the, the latter is possible. Like, everybody has that, right? And, I mean, it has that potential. They did it in high school. They've done it in practice. There's, there's a reason that they're in a position to, to play here. But then you're – I know that this doesn't make compelling radio, but you're, we're, 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 both of us are sitting here trying to make definitive statements about 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. And even if they're not football players, you and I and God and everybody in this market knows that 19- and 20-year-olds are not the most consistent, reliable, stable people under the best of circumstances. And when you put them in a situation where there's 70,000 people screaming and it's very emotionally charged and 
uh, the, the, a tenth of a second hesitation in either direction means a different result for the play, you can't really predict it. So, yeah, it is possible that, that this could be a game here where Julian Fleming, who was, I want to say, the top wide receiver recruit in this class, he was injured a little bit, and that's why he fell down in the rotation. He shows everybody why he was uh, projected to be a first-round NFL talent and goes for eight catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. That, that could happen. But if they haven't had the same number of reps that – uh, you know that um, CJ Stroud has had with the, with his ones, and they they feel like the moment's a little bit too big for them. And maybe Ohio State's offensive line isn't quite where it was, you know, three weeks ago. And pass protection's a little bit off. It it, it could be a very different thing. So you know, I look at this and think, as the totality of all the other you know factors of this game makes me think, I think I like Utah Utah chances better. But is there a possibility that Ohio State still throws for 406 yards? Yeah, like they they have the dudes to do that, and that's just what happens when you play Ohio State. Obviously, the better the player, the easier job it is to coach. And one of the hallmarks of Kyle Whittingham's staff is he doesn't have a ton of four- and five-star guys, but they identify them early, maybe switch positions, coach them up, and away they go, and they send off plenty of guys to the NFL my thought for you is what is your confidence level in the coaching staff being able to overcome whatever it might be, deficiency with guys sitting out or injury or whatever it is, to be able to come up and figure out a game plan and use some coaching expertise to be a factor in this game? That's a, that's a great question. And I don't think it would be Homer-ish to say, that I would like, I, I think Utah has an advantage in this department heading into this game. You know, p- part of it is Ohio State staff was already in turmoil a little bit. They just hired a new defensive coordinator from uh, Oregon State who will not be on staff for this game. Um, and that means that one of Ohio State's assistants, and which one yet, is not going to be, is not going to have a job, you know, in, in a week and a half because you can't have, you can't have that many. Ohio State uh, demoted their defensive coordinator after week three, and there's been a, a lot of, confusion about who should be doing what on this defensive staff. I, I would imagine there's going to be multiple personnel changes there. I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I think he's particularly a really good offensive coach, not just a really good recruiter, but a, a very creative schematic person. He was, you know, he came out of the, the Chip Kelly when that meant something. Um, and I, I would expect Ohio State's offense to still perform you know, well. Like, again, it's, it's hard for me to imagine them, you know, putting up 181 yards on one touchdown. I think they're going to be able to score points. But, um, I, you know, I've told everybody this nationally, that I, there's, I, there's not many coaches right now that have a better track record of uh, performing in bowl games and maximizing the talent that they have and maximizing their identity than, than Winningham. And with all of the outside whispers that hey, this might be his last game or we don't know what, what Utah's going to be doing after this or, you know, to, or to instill within this team how much this particular game matters and how they need to execute, yeah, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable that, that even if Utah loses, they're going to still be able to do what Utah wants to do or needs to do to win this game. If they lose, it's because... I think it's because they got out talented, and that happens sometimes when you, when you have when you face a team that has better players and also has a competent coach. Like it's not a USC kind of situation, um, but I don't think it will be because Utah is completely flummoxed and unable to, to to kind of impose what they want to do for this football game. Well, Matt, we will leave it right there. We appreciate you coming on, sharing all your uh, your expertise, and and that felt less like Ohio State pom poms and more like you know a guy who makes his <laughs> living doing this. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I try to, I try, I try to do that. Um, you know, and, and most of the time these days, I'm writing about stuff that happens off the field. And uh, the, you know, what, what you know, if, if a Utah fan is interested in the kind of format that make their athletic department tick, um, you might enjoy Extra Points, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. There it is, Matt. We appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yep, no problem, fellas. Be well. I'll talk to y'all later. There's Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics and an Ohio State grad. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time for the best of the postgame show after the Jazz and Blazers. Sure, Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win last night in Portland over the shorthanded Blazers, 120 to 105. The Jazz have now won 13 of their last 15 ball games. Uh, the Jazz were led uh, by uh, Rudy Gobert, who had 22 points, 14 rebounds, a couple of blocks. Rudy Gay at 21 coming in off the bench as he had a big time game. Hassan Whiteside with 15 and 11. Jordan Clarkson had 19 off the bench. Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich each had 15 as uh, Donovan Mitchell missed his second consecutive game dealing with a sore back. Let's get some uh, post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Thank you. So before the game, you mentioned everybody doing a little bit more on nights when when Don is out. Tonight, six guys with 15-plus points uh, defensively holding Portland to 37% in the second half. What did you see out there that you liked tonight? I, I thought, you know, particularly versus some of the switching, um, we did a good job not getting fixated on the initial um, switch and got off the ball and just trusted each other. Um, and I thought it's particularly in the early part of the game, that was something that, that really helped us that, you know, we didn't have – we didn't have the ball stop, um, which can happen against a team that you know that's, that's switching like they were. Um, you know, I thought that, that we we adjusted. Um, I think as the game went on, being up uh, higher where we needed to be, um, particularly with you know Dame's threes, he still got some, but I thought they were they weren't quite as clean. They were a little more contested. And also with Powell and those some of those dribble handoff situations, I I was I was disappointed, you know, throughout really the first three quarters that I thought we we build a lead and then we let up a little bit, but we didn't extend it. And that's something we talked about, like the three minute mark in the, in the third. And I, and I thought we saw that where we were able to kind of kick it in a little bit, you know, and take it instead of you know. Instead of it going from 10 or 12 to you know, 6, um, went from 10 to 14, 10 to 16. And that, that was good to see. Tony Jones. Coach, you guys are, are 12 and 3 on the road, have won eight consecutive on the road. You guys are 11 and 6 at home. What has been the disparity in the level of your play um, between, between the two and, 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 and why? Well, it's not that we don't like playing at home, and it's not our fans. So, um, you can eliminate those two things. I, I'd have to, you know, Tony, I think, um, you know, record sometimes is, you know, is, is deceiving because you, you may play games at home or on the road, you know, when your team's playing well or when you're not playing as well. So, I, I don't think it has less to do with, 
you know, the venue as it does. You know, we lost a couple of close games at home uh, that I felt like, you know, should not have been close. We lost them on the last possession. So there's two right there where we really weren't playing good basketball. And, and it showed. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, that we're, we're getting better. We're going to find out if we can continue to be – as effective, you know, on the road in, in the month of January. And, you know, we've got a couple uh, couple games at home coming up, I think, against one team that um, we've played, you know, in Minnesota a couple times already and against another team in Golden State that is obviously, you know, if not the top, one of the, one of the top teams in the league. And they've demonstrated that, you know, over the course of, you know, the, this first half or so of the season. So um, if we do the things uh, that are crucial for us to do, getting back defensively, um, being the first one and closing possessions, I, I didn't think we did that well tonight. I didn't think we defensive rebounded. Uh, Regardless of what the numbers say, I, I thought we were too passive, you know, going and finding bodies on the defensive glass. So, if we do those things, we'll be we'll be better at home um, and, and stay locked in in that respect. Sarah Todd, when you mentioned um, kind of not extending that lead at times and kind of putting the game away, what were the problems kind of in those moments where you thought we could have done this to put it away? Yeah, so I, I just part of it for me is I just look at our demeanor, and it, it, there isn't kind of an urgency in those moments that that I feel that that we that I know our team has, um, and being able to find that mindset, you know, not just when the game gets close, not just at the beginning of the game. I thought we came out really, you know, on point, and to continue to maintain. Um, that mindset to continue to play with that urgency, which usually means, you know, playing with focus on whether it's the game plan or certain situations that we're able to sniff out and react to, um, you know, turning the ball over is usually a pretty big indicator of that, um, you know, as is transition defense. So those two things go together and, those generally are, are things that, you know, are, you know, the cause, you know, of those runs. And all it takes is a couple of turnovers and a couple of easy baskets. And all of a sudden, you know, the, it's a small margin um, that we're talking about. So you just have to continue to lock in during those moments and, and make each possession more important um, to create that because, you know, you either give a team, you know, life or, you know, by, by extending the lead, you make it much more difficult for them to continue to compete on the level that, that they need to, to come back. Last question, Ben Anderson. Quinn, you have five or six guys this year that look like they're getting, you know, decent opportunities in the post. How have you felt about that evolution of the team's offense and, and what does it offer you? Well, I, I think, you know, we, we've been able to find Rudy and Hassan, um, you know, deep. You know, they've fought for position as opposed to fighting for position just on the block or off the block. They're really using their height, particularly when people switch and pick and roll and not stopping, 
you know, at the dots and calling for the ball. And there's, there's usually people behind them. They're, they're fighting for the rim as, as I've liked to, to describe it for them. If they fight for the rim and they get deep, I think their size really becomes a factor and it's just much easier to find an angle to pass the ball to them. So I think we're doing a better job, both, you know, them fighting for the rim and, you know, us making those reads quickly and, you know, making that high pass as opposed to just a post pass. Um, and then the other two guys, you know, Boyan, particularly, I think, you know, when he's got a mismatch situation, um, you know, has been efficient on the post. We saw that last year as well. And, you know, Rudy Gay, I think, you know, you could point to and um, we're trying to, to take advantage of, of what for him is, you know, usually a mismatch with his height, regardless of who's guarding him. If we can force a switch, you know, that's fine. But, you know, he's capable of, of scoring over, over size in the post too, because he's usually bigger than the guy that's guarding him. And, you know, he has the ability to rise up and, you know, make that little mid-range jump shot, whether it be over the top of somebody or to spin off him. So um, I think one of the things that, that, you know, that, that our bigs are doing and you can credit, um, you know, Rudy Gobert for this is just, he's been stronger with the ball. He's been more patient and making sure he gets the catch and worrying about scoring after he gets the catch. And as a result, you know, I think he's, he's getting to the line even more. And then, you know, with, with Rudy Gay, um, you know, he's a really willing passer out of the post. So, um, you know, playing through the post becomes a much more uh, productive thing for us to do. And, you know, that's why we're doing it. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team won 120 to 105. Let's now get some uh, player sound for you. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. Hey, Rudy. So um, Quinn was mentioning the things that he liked about the game tonight. And then he mentioned that he felt like there were times where the team's demeanor was not where it needed to be. Like there were opportunities to kind of extend the lead more than you guys did to maybe put the game away earlier. Um, do you agree with that? And and if so, what can kind of be done about that? Definitely. You know, I think there's a few times when we, we obtain and uh, you know, when you obtain, it can go either way. You can either get up uh, 15, 20, or you can, let them come back and get the lead to to five, and then it's a it's a ball game. So, you know, I, I thought there was a few stretches when we we let them uh, get too many offensive rebounds. Uh, a few stretches when we could have fouled uh, to stop the break, and we didn't. So it's you know it's it's, it's on us to to keep uh, uh, being aware of those moments when we have ten, and you know, and if we if we lock in even more, we can get up twenty, and then you know it's. Uh, it's much more likely that we're going to win this game, and uh, and also we it's, it's those moments when we have to very much put our foot on the throat and and uh, and demoralize the, the the other team. So it's I think we yeah we get there. You know, obviously it's 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 a big win, but it's great that we in every win you know there, there's stuff that you can you can do better, and uh, you know and there's stuff that you you learn from. So tonight was a great example of that. Andy Larson. Rudy Quinn was also saying that he, he felt you kind of slowing down a little bit more when you receive the ball this year down low. Is it, you know, kind of focusing on the catch and then focusing on scoring later? A, is that something you agree with? And B, kind of what's the process been in order to get there? 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable and, you know, my teammates uh, trust me, you know, and trust me to make the right play inside and and, uh, and feed me the ball, you know. Uh, you know, it's almost like the more I get the ball, the more comfortable I get. And uh, obviously I've been putting a lot of work, you know, this summer and and, and even this year. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always great for me to, to get those opportunities and, you know, try to make the right play. Uh Either finishing at the rim or finding my, my teammates open in the behind the three. Tony Jones. Uh, really, uh, why have you guys been able to play so well on on the road this season and string together so many good games? What have you guys done differently on the road? I don't know. Uh, I think maybe the guys that uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I think you know we we take every game as a as an opportunity to get better. And you know, I feel like when you win on the road, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a different feeling when than when you win at home. You know, it's uh, you you kind of uh, on a mission. You know, it's. You have, we have the mentality when you you know you want we fly together we have some we in the hotel together and, and then we get to the game. It's always uh yeah it's more of a feels like more like a mission and then maybe sometimes you know when we are home uh, we get a little more distracted and we're not as good so it's uh, we gotta find a way to uh, take more advantage you know obviously of the of the home court and uh, find a way to be fresher at home. Because we, we look fresher on the road for some reason. And, you know, for <laughs> most of the teams in the NBA, it's not the case. So uh, I think we're going to be all right. But it's true that, yeah, we we do feel, we do look fresher on, on the road <laughs> for some reason. Sarah Todd? Rudy, can you just tell me how important the bench was and what you saw out of those guys tonight? I mean, they, they were huge, you know, and then, that's why you know having a having a good bench is so important in this league. There's there's a lot of games that you know uh, our bench is winning for us just because of the obviously the level of talent that we have, but the, the the focus and and you know the way guys are able uh, to come in the game and impact the game their own way. You know Hassan, Jordan, uh, Joe when he's when he's when he's not starting, really gay. Even Trent, you know, all those guys that come in the game and, and really uh, are able to 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 impact the game in a big way. And, you know, and at the end of the game, you know, it's a, it's a huge difference. And in, in the playoffs, uh, you know, it's uh, we saw it over the last few years. You know, all the teams that win the championship are, are teams that have a, uh, a good bench. You know, and it's, it's key for us. There's Rudy Gobert. Nice night from Rudy. 22 points, 14 boards, a couple of block shots. He and Hassan Whiteside were both good. In fact, let's go ahead and hear from Hassan. When it comes to the, the playoffs, how important is it to have a bench that can score kind of at a high level like you guys were able to tonight? I'm very important. You know, I definitely I def played a big role in today's game. You know, I think everybody played well. We just moved the ball and we played jazz basketball. Andy Larson. Son, you've seen this Blazers team up close and now get, getting the chance to play against them. I know they're shorthanded, but I kind of what are your thoughts on kind of where they are as a team right now and, you know, I, I, what they can do or kind of how you, how you feel about that? Um, I don't really know. You know, um, it's, a different, it's a different coaching staff here. 
since I was here, you know, it's a whole different team. I might have played with like three of those guys over there. You know, it's a um it's a, it's a whole different Blazer team, you know, and um I don't really know what direction they want to go. Eric Walden. Hey, son. So after the game, Q was talking about all the things you did well and then said maybe the one downside to the game tonight was that you guys maybe had opportunities to put them away a little earlier and, and the focus maybe kind of drifted. Where do you see like areas where, where you guys can maybe do a little better in terms of uh, putting opponents away sooner? Um, I'm just, I wish I'd have made more free throws. You know, this was probably like my toughest free throw night, you know, um, I think we could have shot better from a free throw line as a collective. I think we missed 12 free throws. Um, we could have shot a little better, you know, but um, at the end of the day, you want to learn through the wins. You know, we went in, so you want to learn through that at least. That's Hassan Whiteside, 15 points, 11 rebounds, had a block shot as well as he continues to be very, very good. Let's finish things up with Rudy Gay. Hey, Rudy. Uh, just wondering, can you uh, give us your thoughts on some things that you liked from what the team did tonight, just with everyone kind of stepping up without Don, and then uh, also some areas where you think there maybe is still room for improvement. Yeah, defensively, we move the ball around. We um, help each other out on the offensively and, and well, defensively, and uh, just play well together. We knocked down, well, you know, for the most part, a couple guys knocked down shots, but the bigs really came in, came in handy tonight. There's Rudy Gay, brief but on point. 21 points for Rudy coming in off the bench. Six boards, had an assist as well. Up next, the Jazz will uh, return home. They take on the Timberwolves at Vivint Arena coming up tomorrow night. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. 